we need to uh, get some sound effects. That's usually when Gary will say something like, let's welcome up our pastor and people feel forced to clap and cheer. <laughs> oh man, uh, before I get started, I just wanted to uh, thank our worship team. For those of you that were able to, to log on early and uh, watch some of the live stream, it was uh, powerful for me this morning to uh to hear from our worship team you know the members that took the time to record something and to share their gifts and talents um in a unique way in a different way uh what we've come to to coin as uh being essential in this season uh, i think that's special for those of us that call this church home i'm sure for many of you like for me it was great to hear uh devin's voice again sarah's voice um, RJ and Isaiah uh, on the guitar leading us in worship you know worship leading is not just uh, singing of songs it's bringing us into the presence of God it's reminding us that God chose those individuals to uh, to help usher us in uh, season after season so so grateful for that amen so last week we started our series things we lost in the fire uh, with the foundation of Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, they were strong believers. They stood for God, and they refused to worship King Nebuchadnezzar or any other god for that matter. And because of that, they were thrown into this fiery furnace. The scriptures told us in Daniel 3 that it was heated seven times its normal uh, uh, degrees, and that they were thrown into this fire um, and what we talked about is what is it that we lost or what is it that they lost in the fire? And with Daniel uh, chapter three, we saw how Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they lost their oppressors. The very people who were heating the furnace, the very people that were trying to throw them into the furnace to cause them to suffer and to cause them to lose their lives. Those actual people were the ones that were scorched. Those people were the ones that ended up losing their own lives. So in the fire, we saw how um, it was an uncomfortable position that they had to be in, but what they lost was so valuable. God was actually doing something, removing oppression, removing bondage um, from their lives. We also saw that they gained something. They didn't just lose this oppression. oppression. They also gained a new awareness of God. They also gained uh, a new uh, felt presence of God. The scripture tells us that the Lord came and uh, came into the midst of the fiery furnace with them, right? A way that they had experienced God, uh, they had not experienced God before this fire came. You know, I thought it was great, uh, as Gary was sharing just a minute ago, he says that the Lord says, test me and see what I'm made of, right? The Lord says, try me now in this. The idea is that if we come to God and we test him, is your promises going to hold true? You know, are, are this goodness that you say you carry and that you have for your people, is it true? And we have to actually test him to find out if it's true. Likewise, when you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when you see us, when you see us going through this fire, there is a testing that's going on. And I think we're going to see more and more what we're actually made of. So this morning, I want to shift a little bit just for a minute from fire to water, because I want to help us understand what I believe God is doing in these times for, for you, in these times for me, uh, in these times nationally, and obviously in these times globally, God is doing something. Um, we're experiencing the fire right now, of this coronavirus, 
But let's look at water for just a second. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Matthew 7, 24. The Lord says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So the reason I wanted to share this, this story real quickly is that the rains came, the floods came, the wind descended upon everyone, right? It came on the ungodly and it came on the godly. The rain came upon the wise and the rain came upon the foolish, right? What matters is, what was produced or what was left over after these rains came upon everybody. For the ungodly and the unwise, it leaves death and destruction in its wake. But for the godly and for the wise, this rain leaves behind a cleansing. It leaves behind a confirming of their strength, right? When the winds come and the floods come and you're still standing, what it does is it confirms you're actually stronger than maybe you thought you were. And it also leaves behind this refining of their lives the lives look a little bit different. So similarly, similarly to the way that the rains come and they fall upon everyone, this fire of the coronavirus has heated things up for everyone, right? What we have to determine now is, what are we gonna lose in this fire? And what are we gonna gain from this fire? Are, at the end of this, are we gonna come out looking like we are godly, right? And we've been wise, or will we come out and it be declared that maybe we've been ungodly and foolish? So last week, we said that so far in this fire, we believe and we hope that many have lost the inclination to make the church or going to church the heartbeat and the lifeblood of their faith, right? We said, now that we're not allowed to gather, and it's been four, five, six weeks for many of us where we haven't been able to come into the church, we're hoping that that fire, that heat, that pressure um, that many of us have been feeling have taken from us this inclination to, to, to make coming into the church, doing your due diligence, doing your duty every week, making that the lifeblood, that that's what your faith is built on. That's what your Christianity is built on. That's where you find all of your strength. That's where you find all of your relationship with God. And hopefully this fire has consumed that. We know we cannot, we cannot live that way, and we were never intended to live that way. We have to ask ourselves, Without church as we knew it, has your faith grown, right? Has it proved to be gold and silver and precious stones? Are you finding yourself closer to God now than you were before the crisis? Or are we finding ourselves distracted and distant, far from God? Finding that maybe our, our faith is proving to have been a little bit of wood, hay, and stubble mixed in. So also we saw last week, and we believe and we hope that many have also gained a new reverence and a new desire for Sabbath. We talked about Sabbath is actually setting time aside to be with God. Setting time aside to say, we want to welcome the Holy Spirit. We want to welcome the presence of God. We want to remove all distractions. We want to be focused and uh, intentional about entering into the presence of God, right? 
And now that we don't have the gathering like we had it before, hopefully people are understanding that going to church was just a part of that Sabbathing that God has commanded us to do. That it should be uh, definitely at least one of your days throughout the week, but a daily practice of welcoming God, a daily practice of sil silencing all of the noise, a daily practice of actually moving ourselves physically and spiritually into a place where we can encounter the presence of God. Obviously, Sundays and going into a church building made that easy, uh, but God didn't intend it to be an easy thing. He intended it to be a valuable thing. That no matter how difficult we may find it, that we prioritize Sabbath. Right? So this week, let's pray and let's see what else God may want us to lose in this fire and what else he may want us to gain as we come out of it. So, Lord, we come uh, into your presence, Lord, not only here in this building and in this house, Lord, but in many homes, in many houses, Lord. Lord, you say that every individual believer is actually the temple of God where your spirit dwells, Lord. This morning, Lord, there are churches all over the world, churches of one and two and five. Homes, Lord, that bear your name, Lord, where your spirit is active and moving, Lord. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would help us to, uh, to hear your word this morning. We ask that you would help us, Lord, to maybe be a little bit better at removing distractions, that you would help us, Lord, to have our word with us, to trust you, Lord, to even test you now in this, Lord, to see if you won't move in our lives. See if you won't give us revelation this morning, Lord. See if we won't, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, find you and see you in a new light. Have a new felt presence this morning in whatever fire it may be that we are enduring, Lord. We need you, Lord. We love you. We came, Lord, to tabernacle with you. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Colossians 2, 15 through 21. And Paul's telling us that it's not by the law. It's not by living a certain way and keeping a certain amount of commandments and, and again, making it to every church service and, and making sure that you did the math right and gave every penny that you were supposed to give. It's this shifting from the law to this grace, that it's all about Christ. It's all about a gift. It's all about something that's been given to us, right? And Paul's making it clear that he no longer lives by the law. He lives by grace. This idea that he has to die to the law in order to live to Christ, it's like uh, uh, a marital contract, right? 
that it's till death do us part. We are in this marriage forever. However, if one of the parties were to pass away, you're removed from that requirement and that legal requirement, and you're able to be married and wed to another. Paul's saying exactly that. I had to die to the law in order to be remarried to Christ and receive this grace. See, when we first come to the Lord, we become awakened to this love. We become as aware as possible, as aware as humanly possible, that this grace really does exist, that God has given us a second chance at life. He's given us hope for hopelessness, and we are so excited about it, right? We find that surrender and sacrifice are just the appropriate response. Nobody has to come and tell us, hey, because this grace is so good, you should surrender your life. You should sacrifice things that you have held close to you. Nobody has to do that. It naturally comes out of us, right? The appropriate response for what I've now been awakened to is surrender. It is sacrifice. It is reckless love and abandonment, right? We begin to take these uh, hard stances. We begin to uh, make hard decisions. We take risk for this love of God, right? And our growth early on is often at this insane pace. It feels like you're learning something new every day. You're gaining a new um, understanding or uh, character trait or something's been changed or transformed every day, every week in the beginning. It's like um, it's overflowing. The pace is often so fast. We see that in babies, right? All they need is, is milk and they're able to get everything they need. They're eating uh, just this milk and they're growing and their bones are growing and their, 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 uh, their bodies are growing, their brains are growing, right? Similarly to babies, Christians are the same way, right? That first couple of years, these babies grow at the fastest pace of their whole life. Same thing for a lot of Christians. In the beginning, everything's new and you're growing and you're growing like crazy. But along the way, Many of us begin to be less reckless with our love and less reckless with our surrender. At one point, we were like Paul saying, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves saying, I has been resurrected <laughs> and I is now trying to have this conversation with Christ about a democracy. At one point, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And now we're back in that place two years, three years, five years down the road where I is saying, hey, Christ, how about if we do it this way? Hey, Christ, I was thinking that, yeah, your plan is, is awesome and, and I love what you've done. But I was thinking it would probably work just as well if we do it this way. I is coming back into the equation. We begin to do more math. We begin to consider hypothetical questions, right? In the beginning, it was like, Lord, this is all yours. Here's your tithe. But a little ways down the road, we begin to say, well, if this were to happen, and what if we crash the car? And, and, and what, if, what if we lose a job? Or, or what if mom gets sick? You know, baby, what's 10% what's of 100? $10? Okay, okay, we got that. Baby, what, what's 10% of, of 1,000? Okay, that's, that's $100? Okay, we got that. Baby, what's 10% what's of a million? A hundred thousand? Oh, no, 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 no. Christ, let's, let's talk about this thing, right? Early on, we said, I don't know how God's going to do it, but God is going to bless this marriage. I'm marrying her no matter what. Early on, we said, I don't know how God is going to do it, but God is going to take care of this family and we're going to have another child. God is going to bless this family. And then down the road, we find ourselves saying things like, I don't see if there's any way that God can restore this. 
I don't think there's any way that God can fix this. So the first thing I want us to consider this morning that I believe God wants us to lose in this fire is our faith substitutes. Our faith substitutes. My daughter and I, Naomi, we love this song called Fool's Gold. And it, it goes, uh, uh, that's just fool's gold. That ain't treasure, that's trash, right? The idea is that it looks like gold. It shines like gold. It feels like gold. It has the same weight as gold. But when you put it to the fire, it's fool's gold. It's not real gold. It's that stuff you get at Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> that ain't a real gold nugget. We can call our faith substitutes wisdom. We're just making sound decisions, right? We can call our fool's gold maturity. Oh, we've just grown beyond that immaturity of early stages of Christianity, right? But at the end of the day, it's how we lived before we knew Christ. And we forget that that got us to a crazy place where the last thing, our last hope was a savior coming down from heaven to live a life sinless and die on a cross, living our own way being mature, being wise, making our own decisions, it put us in a place where that was the only hope we had was for God to do something that nobody would have ever considered him doing. And then we find ourselves doing it again. Faith substitutes and fool's gold. In verse 18 of the scripture I just read to you guys, Colossians 2, verse 18, Paul says, if I build again, those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. In this fire are many of us finding that we've been rebuilding for years what we initially destroyed when we came to Christ and we surrendered it all. Right? Many of us hadn't even noticed that we were doing it again. But now that we're in the fire, it's like it's right before our eyes and it's so clear to see, man, we've rebuilt what we had already destroyed. Are we cautious and withholding from God again? Where has that gotten us now that the fires come? Are we putting our faith in our companies again? Right? Where has that gotten us now that the fires come and those same companies are furloughing people and laying people off? And God is saying, I told you in the beginning, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you work and I'm going to give you a company, but don't put your faith in it. Don't put your happiness in it. Don't find your peace in that because when the fire comes, if your faith and your hope and your happiness is there, it can be taken from you in a decision from a Tuesday to a Wednesday by a CEO. Are we building our marriages on eating out and taking vacations and a certain amount of income again? Remember when you got saved, right? And if you were lucky enough to be married and you said, oh God, I don't know what I've been thinking, but I'm so happy that this person is willing to be with me and spend their life with me. And then all of a sudden, are we back in that place? Have we rebuilt where we were before, where it's all about, hey, did we get enough vacation this year? Baby, I would be a lot happier if you take me out to eat, maybe at least once a week, once every two weeks. How much income do we have? You got to get a better job. You're not working hard enough. Work two jobs so that I can have a certain standard of living. Have we gotten back to that place 
And now that the fire's come, where, where has that gotten us? Have we gotten back to that place where we live our lives as if our families are all that really matters? You remember before you came to Christ? I won't put that on you, but I know that I was selfish. I had a lot of friends, but none of them were as important as I was, right? I know so many people that their families, and they're clear, it's, it's so easy for them to say, I care about me and mine first. You take care of you and yours. But when we come to Christ, after that baby stage, we find ourselves, oh no, there is a community that, that my extra is not my extra. That's for the lack that others are suffering from, right? The things that God has taught me is not to build me up to be idolized. It's so that I can bring others and teach them things and help them to grow and to be blessed, right? But have we gotten back to that place where it ain't about other people? When you see somebody come up here and talk about tithe and offering, if all you're thinking about is yourself and your bank accounts and you're not thinking about the kingdom advancing and people that have needs, we've gone back and rebuilt what it was that we destroyed in the beginning. Your family's not more important than the next family. You may have different responsibilities when it comes to your family, but that's why God says that this is called a body. He says that the body doesn't work if everybody wants to be an ear or a hand. He says every part of the body has to be working together. And if one part of the body is suffering, the whole, part, the whole body is suffering. Man, I just feel like the Lord wants to burn some things up in this fire. Remember the first time you fell in love and you lost your mind? All rational thinking went out the window, right? You were spending money you didn't have. <laughs> you were building crafts and writing letters. <laughs> You'd stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning on the phone. And it's not like today, right? iPhones and propping them up and lights and, and reminders. No, you had that, that rotary phone with a 25-foot cord hiding from maybe your parents, ducking into your room, smashing it in, in the door. You were doing crazy things because you were in love. We risked everything, right? We wanted everybody to know that we were in love. And we wanted everybody to know that the one we're in love with belongs to me, right? It wasn't enough to just say, I love this person. You had to like go get matching t-shirts. You had to go to star shots and take pictures together, right? If you were in school, you had to like walk with them and hold their hand. It's not enough that I know I'm in love and she knows that we're in love. I want everybody to know that we're in love. It was reckless. It was crazy. What about now with our relationship with God? Can it be described that way? Or do we have a pseudo love? Do we have a faith substitute? It looks like love. To the outside, it looks like love. It feels like love. It carries the same weight as love, right? But man, that's just fool's gold. There's no substance. There's no reading. You tell me what would have happened back in those days if you found that person's diary. You'd have read every page. And if you found something in there about you, you would have lost your mind, right? Oh, she really does love me. Oh, he really does care about me. Oh, he really is listening to what I'm saying and what I'm going through. Oh, he does want to get married one day. Oh, she does believe in me. We've got a love letter. 
We've got a diary. We don't read it. That's just fool's gold. That ain't treasure, that's trash. Let it burn. I'm so thankful for the coronavirus in this area of things being scorched and burned out of our lives, of things that I have begun to rebuild that I destroyed in the beginning. God is giving me an opportunity through the fire of the coronavirus and this epidemic and this situation to burn those things up. As a pastor, when we started this church, two, three people running around, and I'm up all night preparing for those two and three people. Fast forward 13, 14 years down the road, and you're angry and you're frustrated, and who didn't show up, and who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and what ministry leader doesn't care enough about the church, right? I've rebuilt the things that I destroyed in the beginning. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Let's just tear all that down. What are you going to do? In the beginning, I loved the people and I loved sharing the word of God. However, the best parts were pre preparing with God. He'd show up, he'd sit next to me, and he'd be like, no, you don't really understand that. <laughs> he'd be like, yeah, that's funny, put that in there. <laughs> and we'd laugh and we'd talk and I'd prepare. Two hour messages. <laughs> Mm. God's so good. So many things need to be burned in this fire. So if this fire is able to consume and purge us of what many of us have been rebuilding in place of a fully surrendered and reckless love, what might we gain? Right? We want to lose that. Right? We want to lose that uh, faith substitute. We want to lose and let it burn down the things that we've rebuilt. But what are we going to gain? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So good. What matters right now? What's the smart thing to do right now? What should you focus on? What should you build on or what should you rebuild on or what should you shore up? If we lose the faith substitute in the fool's gold, I pray that we would gain a true love and dependency on the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? A true love and a true dependency on the gospel. This gospel of Christ crucified. It's foolishness to the world, but to us it's life. It comes with the power of God and it comes with the wisdom of God. See, the world doesn't need to see Christians 
who are excited to get back to church in a few weeks, right? That's not what the world needs to see, right? What is the, what is the, the church going to proclaim? What is the church going to show the world? Man, when they lifted that coronavirus, we were there. We were back in our seats. We even brought a couple new people with us. That's not what the world needs to see. What does the world need to see during the fire? During the coronavirus, the world does not need to see Christians that are so stable and emotionally strong that we don't lose our minds during the coronavirus fire, right? That's not what the world needs to see. Wow, you see those Christians? They, they, they seem strong. They seem stable. I'm, I'm worried, but they don't look worried. Is that going to be our testimony when we get back to church? Man, anybody who was looking at me, they saw somebody strong. They saw somebody stable. I never shook. I never shed one tear. I was never worried. Is that the glory that God wants? What the world needs to see is Christians who come out of the fire more clearly demonstrating their faith in Jesus and his atoning work on the cross than ever before. The gospel. In the fire, after the fire, what the world needs to see is that these people seem to be having a much more clear understanding of the gospel and of the cross. They seem to be much more dependent on the gospel and the cross. They seem to be much more willing to share how the gospel and the cross has affected their lives, how that is the foundation. Earlier in the service, I talked about the rains coming, the floods coming, right? The winds coming. And God says that when that happened, those who built on the rock, they survived. Their houses did not fall. They did not crumble. That rock is the gospel. I'm not saying that everybody needs to become a street preacher, but everybody does have an uh, autobiographical story that you need to be able to tell. And it has to be about how the cross impacted your life. You don't have to stand on the corner with your Bible. You don't have to post something spiritual every 10 minutes. You don't have to go back to work with a shirt on that says, I work for this company, but God is my real CEO. You don't have to do all that, but you have to be able to tell a story to everybody that you come into contact with. It may be the first day in that relationship. It may be two years or five years into that relationship. This may be an ongoing story, but it's your autobiography and it has to get to that place where it says, and this is where the cross of Christ changed everything. This is how the gospel shifted my life, changed my life, caused me to surrender, awoken me to the spiritual. How I realized that I was dead and I was given this opportunity to come into life. That's what the world needs. Gospel-centered, gospel-dependent Christians. In this fire and definitely when we come out of this fire. Who cares if you're able to say, I went back to the church building. Who cares if you're able to say, see, after five years or 10 years, I'm strong and I'm stable. It's like any baby. In the beginning, all they can do is crawl and spit up on themselves, but they're still growing and eventually they walk. I haven't crawled in a long time. That doesn't mean anything. It just means that it's been some years. We need to gain a gospel dependency as we come out of this fire. We have to lose our self-dependency. And if we've rebuilt that self-dependency, we need to let it burn again. 
See, all day, every day, we are telling a story to the people around us. And what often happens is we can tell that we are self-dependent, right, and self-centered because the story we're telling people is about us. Let me tell you what I did this week. Let me tell you about my family. Let me tell you about my job. Let me tell you about what I like to do in my free time. Let me tell you what my plans are for the next five years. It's your story, but it's about you. It's my story and it's about me. We're telling that story, whether uh, in this verbal form like this or just by the way we live, we're telling that story all day, every day to everybody that we encounter. And how many people ever get to hear the part of the story where the gospel comes in? I think it's something God wants us to gain as we go through this fire. There's one more thing, and then I'm going to close, that I think we can gain in addition to this gospel-centeredness and this gospel dependency and this willingness to tell the real story uh, of our lives. The last thing I think that we can also gain is the adventure and the joy that was always intended to come along with walking with Jesus. Man, that's what I want to gain when I come through this fire. There's supposed to be an adventure and there's supposed to be joy that is a part of this walk with Jesus. And I think many of us have either forgotten that or lost that, didn't know that it was part of the deal. But we can gain it as we come through and come out of this fire, church. This is John chapter 1, verse 43. It says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to Jesus, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Crazy. So it's no coincidence that my first name is Nathaniel. <laughs> but I can look back now to when I got saved. And what it was, it was actually the realization that Jesus saw me. That's what made me want to follow him. When you've actually been seen for the first time, it is a life-altering experience. I don't know about for the rest of you, but for me, I spend a lot of my life uh, creating the image that I wanted people to see. I, and then when I wasn't trying to create that image for others to see, I was in a mirror trying to shift to the right angle where I could be happy with what I actually saw. But when I encountered Jesus for the first time, it was the first time, and as long as I could remember, where somebody actually saw me, all of me. All the, the, 
the good that I had in me, he saw the best that it could possibly be. And all the bad that I had in me, he saw it more clearly than anybody had seen it before. And he actually was able to reflect that back to me. That was part of the, the probably the scariest part is when I began to see again what I was hiding from in the mirror and trying to trying to fake and duck under. You know how the ladies be taking the picture like in the best possible pose right now. Right. When I was doing all that, God was like, nope, front and center. This is you. And when you are seen that way and you know you're seen that way and that person that sees you says, I still love you. He says, I still love you. I see all this and I came for you. You're not getting over on me. My love just supersedes all that sin. You know who you are and I know who you are. I didn't come to condemn you. I came with grace. The law has condemned you. You know you're a lawbreaker. You know you're deserving of death. But if you're willing to die to the law, you can be married to grace. So when he saw me, just like Nathaniel, Nathaniel comes up to Jesus and Jesus says, man, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel was so amazed that he had been seen that he said, I'll follow you. You're, you're God, you're the Lord. I know that what you see, nobody else can see. I'll follow you. The same thing happened to me, right? I've been seen. I felt the love. I feel the call that he's actually calling me to him and I'm going to go. <clears throat> it's a no brainer, right? Beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, forgiveness for guilt and righteousness for sinfulness. Amen, right? But this is where many of us miss it. Jesus told Nathaniel, yes, I see you. Yes, I want you to follow me. But if you do, you're going to see more than just a God who sees you like no one else sees you. You're going to see many things that only a few others are ever going to be able to see. You are going to live a life of adventure and you are going to live a life of joy like you have never even considered. See, that's where we miss it. We got to be seen and we've got to we got to respond to that call to follow Jesus. That's salvation. That's hope. That's the cross. That's the gospel. That's the moment. Right. But we're also supposed to gain this life of adventure and joy and experiences and crazy things. Nathaniel saw things that only a small group of 12 were able to see. The, The scriptures tell us in the New Testament that it's a narrow road that leads to Christ. There's a narrow road where people will find life and only a few are going to find it on that road. It's going to be hard. There's going to be danger. There's going to be fire. There's going to be loss. There's going to be crazy things, but there's also going to be the most amazing adventure. These guys are fishermen. These guys are tax collectors. They were living a good regular life. And then all of a sudden they become part of the greatest story in the history of mankind because they chose to follow Jesus. 
Our stories should be the greatest stories in the history of mankind because we've chosen to follow Jesus. If you don't have adventure, if you don't have excitement, if you don't have newness, we've got to ask ourselves, are we following Jesus? Because that's all I seem to see in his wake. We can gain an eye for the miraculous. We can gain an ear for the heavenly. And we can gain a spirit that's capable of entering in right now to the things that are eternal. Man, I hope we gain that as we come out of this fire. What's it going to take? It's going to take letting the things that have gotten in the way again letting those things go and letting those things burn. It's going to take reckless love, reckless abandonment, crazy love, letting yourself know and your family know and the world know that you're in love. You are your beloved's and your beloved's is yours. <laughs> and then comes the adventure and then comes the joy once again. Let's pray. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, God. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence, an opportunity to be in your word, an opportunity to be reminded of how good you are. For those of you who are still with us and listening and, and watching, today's message was a lot about losing self in the fire and gaining Christ in the process. So I'm going to ask you, if you're still with us, just to close your eyes. If you're thinking about giving up your life so that you could receive the life of Jesus, I want you to know something and then I want to read something to you. I want you to know that he sees you. One of the blessings of, of closing your eyes is the things of space and the things of your home where you may be right now. They all disappear. You could spiritually be anywhere. I want you to picture yourself in the presence of God. Physically, you may be in a fire right now, but just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Lord comes into the fire and he's sitting with you. He wants you to know that he sees you. He sees all of you. Every blemish, every sin, but he also sees the heart that he placed in you. He sees the good. He sees you the way that you were always intended to be as well. And that's where he wants to take you. This is Philippians chapter three. It's our brother, our brother Paul says, the things that were gained to me, these I've counted as lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I actually count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on 
that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you're listening right now, if you're watching right now, and you'd like to surrender everything to Jesus, if you'd like to take everything that you've gained thus far in life and say, I surrender all that I would gain Christ. He sees you. He loves you. His answer is yes, but you've actually got to lay it down. If that's you, you want to give your life to Christ, you want to be saved, I'm asking that you would just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I believe the gospel, that you are God, that you came to this earth to live and die a sinless sacrifice for my sins. I am a sinner, but I believe you can forgive me. Right now, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to take everything that I have as a sacrifice that I could have you and you alone. I give you my heart, I give you my mind, I give you my soul, that you, by your spirit, would come and dwell inside of me. I believe that you rose from the dead, and right now, you are in heaven awaiting my arrival. I love you, and I thank you. Lord, we thank you for those who would give their lives to you, Jesus. For the rest of us, if you're here and you know Jesus, you're already saved, but you know that you need to burn some things that you've somehow been rebuilding, that you want to get back to a reckless love and abandonment, you want to get back to adventure, you want to get back to joy, you want to get back to immediate surrender because of love because of your relationship and your walk. You want to get back to reading the diary of the one who loves you. I want to pray with you right now. These same words of Paul when Paul says, I have not apprehended already. I have not attained it. I have to keep forgetting the things that are behind me and keep pressing on to what's ahead. I have to lay hold of the things for which Jesus back then laid hold of me. I will not substitute them I will not forfeit them for my best laid plans, for pseudo love, for fool's gold, or for faith substitutes. Lord, would you help each and every one? If that's their heart right now, Lord, would you help them not just to let those things burn, but to bring them as an offering and to try you now in this, to lay them down in that flame and in that fire and watch them be consumed? that they would be free from that bondage once again, that I would be free from that bondage once again to walk with you, to leave everything behind and keep pressing on for what's ahead. 
you have adventure you have joy it's a narrow road i'm so grateful we're so grateful that you've given us an opportunity to walk along it have your way lord we thank you jesus every day is a new opportunity a sabbath with you i pray for the sabbath of your loved ones tomorrow and tuesday and wednesday throughout the week lord god i pray for breaking bread and communion i pray for phone calls i pray for video conferences lord help us to tell the story that matters most we love you and we thank you in the name of jesus amen we're going to continue to to play give you an opportunity to pray and uh, also if you have it ready you can go ahead and receive your communion with your family and we'll do the same here god bless you Love you guys.
took a breath, you breathe your life in me. You have been so, so good to me. For I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so kind to me. And I don't deserve